goes to one, two, three, and here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we, here we, here we go. DMC and DJ Run. Dumb diddy, dumb diddy, diddy, dumb, dumb. We're rocking on the mic and then you know where we're from. Dumb diddy, dumb diddy, diddy, dumb, dumb. We hope you're ready for the big beat drum. Drum diddy, drum diddy, diddy, drum, dumb. So people in the place in the big beat drum. Here it come, here it come, here it kitty come, come. How y'all feel out there? Oh, yeah. All right. Folks, let's do this. All right. Check this out. Welcome. So glad you're joining me uh, to kick off this unpredictable journey. Now, while unpredictable, I can guarantee you this. We're going to have some fun storytelling and entertaining one another. Heck, we're probably going to have uh, a few laughs, a couple cries, and somewhere along the way, we're going to provoke some thoughts in this one-hour escape from reality. Before we get started, it's important that we know why we're here, how we got here, and why now. Well, the Chris Williams Podcast Hour is here to give you a rare but powerful glimpse inside the uh, world of sports and entertainment. It's a nice escape from reality, a nice escape from 2020 and beyond. Now, I've been involved in the world of sports for many years as an athlete, a journalist, and even a bad coach. Along the way, I met some people, and the one thing I learned is we all have a voice and at least one good story to tell. Now, I have a voice, a very good platform, and together, we can have fun listening and telling some really entertaining, well-stretched tales. Why now? Well, a year ago, on August 19, 2019, I lost my the most important person in my life. My best friend, my ride or die, my mom, Lola Williams. Now, she could tell a pretty good story and was always in search of one. There was a lady who was completely blind, and I couldn't leave her in the car for a second by herself, because if I did, she would be holding court with complete strangers, and I would be in a predicament where I would somehow have to prove to them that I was her son and had the right to take her away. I miss those days. On August 19th last year, she got tired of the sickness. She got tired of the darkness, tired of going to dialysis. And in some ways, she got tired of me. Well, she checked out on August 19th, and the world has not been the same. It hasn't been the same since. I've been lost, and in some ways, the world has been lost. Well... I'm reclaiming my time, my world. Today, I'm punching back in and doing something I promised her a thousand times. I'll do something to make her proud and put a smile on her face. So, folks, thanks for joining me. And this is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. you to my first guest from Leland, North Carolina, a 13-year NBA veteran, a world champion, and man who played for and collected a check from a record 12 NBA teams, including the beloved Cleveland Cavaliers, a legend from That's NC right. State, and the man who busted Carolina for 50 points one night <laughs> in a win. My man, my friend, Chucky Brown. Chucky, welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Man, listen, thank you for having me, man. I mean, you know how we do it. Anytime you need me, I'm here. 
here, man. But uh, you know, it's just, it's just, I like to thank you for having me be your first guest. That's special for me. Hey, 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 I appreciate it. And there's a lot that goes into that. So one of the reasons you're you're one of my first guests, I'm doing this podcast on August 19th. It's the date my mother passed. But one right. of her all-time favorite players, any sport, was Chucky Brown. Anytime I okay. called home, went home, one of the first people she'd ask me about, always <laughs> ask me about, is you, Chucky Brown. Right, well, I remember, I remember when I got drafted in Cleveland, and uh, I knew you were from Cleveland, and you gave me your mom's number to call her when I got to Cleveland, uh, because I didn't have any family or anything there, um, and when I got to Cleveland, I called her, and she would have me come over to the house and, and cook for me, and, uh, you know, just took care of me like I was you, <laughs> like I was and we would laugh. Um, because sometimes you want to get away from basketball, and she was, you know, until I got acclimated with the city and knew how to move around, you know, she she helped me uh, be able to get away from basketball. So, you know, bless your mother's heart for that. Rest in peace. Hey, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And again, thank you for everything. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, hey, let, let me let me say this. So, you know. I'm going to talk about, you know, the NBA, the playoffs are starting, you know. Right. Tell me what you know about the NBA bubble, and then give me your predictions and what you think is going to happen with this, you know, or whatever you want to call this short season. Um, you know, I really have, you know, I know a few people that are down in the bubble. Um, I've talked to uh, Sam Cassell, uh, David Booth. Uh, David Booth, who works, uh, he works in the front office of the NBA. You know, Rory Sparrow. I know those guys, but you know, I hadn't really asked them about what's going on in the bubble at all. So I don't know much about what's going on. You know, it's like when you know you talk to the guys, you don't you don't really even talk about basketball. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So I know that they're there, so we talk about other stuff. So <laughs> um, I really don't know what's going on in the bubble as far as my predictions. This is probably the most, uh, I mean, they, I know they've only played eight games uh, for the regular season thing, and I'm not really a regular season NBA watcher. I watch during the playoffs because I know, like, a lot of times, unless there's two good teams in the regular season, I know that a lot of times, you know, how guys are thinking, you know, during the regular season because it's such a long season. Uh, but I've watched these eight games, and they've been competitive. competitive. Um, and my prediction, I mean, Everybody, the, the sexy pick, I think, is the Clippers. You know, and right now, I would say the Clippers. But I'm gonna my sleeper team would be Toronto, because I think that Toronto has a little bit of an edge. They got a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. People think that, uh, you know, Kawhi leaving, you know, they can't do it. You know, and people forget Kawhi missed a lot. Uh, Kawhi missed a lot of games. And they still won like 50-something games or almost 60 games, you know, with him. But he missed probably, you know, 40 games. You know what I'm saying? Some, somewhere close to like 40 games. And they still had a nice record. So my sleeper team would be Toronto. Um, I think they have a tough first-round matchup. Um, I looked at the matchups. I forget who it was, but I know it's a tough matchup. But uh, if they can get out of that matchup, I think they can beat Milwaukee. They've got the size, the athleticism. Uh, I think Boston uh, is also scary coming out of the East. Boston is scary because they got such young talent. I'm a big fan of Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown. I'm a big, big fan of Kimball Walker. I'm big fans of those guys. Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward's been looking good. I knew it would take a couple of years after his horrific injury for him to start looking like the Gordon Hayward that was in Utah. Ah, so he's been looking good. Um, you know, so they've got they've got a lot of weight weapons. Um, and you know you got the you got, you got that grit with Marcus Smart. I love Marcus Smart. He's gritty, tough defender. Um, but you know I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Clippers right now coming out of the West, and I'm gonna say Toronto out of the East. And I you know if it gets there, I think I'm gonna go with Toronto. I think I'm gonna go with Toronto just because I think they're playing with a little bit of an edge. You know Kyle Lowry and uh, Van Fleet at the guard spot. I mean they provide the toughness. 
that you want your guards to have. Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, for the Lakers, you know, having that Portland matchup in the first round is going to be scary. Uh, and it's scary because, you know, for some of these teams, because there's no real home court. Everybody playing at the same spot. So, right. you know, there's right. no, there's no <laughs> travel lag. You know, everybody, mm-hmm. nobody's traveling. So, uh, you know, the, the travel is, is, is dead. The crowd is dead. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so now it's upon individuals. So who who is the most self-motivated? So self-motivated. And I watched the, uh, the game with Memphis and Portland yesterday. And it was very competitive. So I think that if, if uh, you know, I think that Portland can beat the Lakers, but I think the Lakers are better, just a better team. And, and they got they got the best two players that are going to be on the floor with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Okay. So okay. they're not going to be two better players. Although Portland, if we go position by position, Portland has the guards, the better guards. Mm-hmm. But the Lakers got the best two players on the floor at all times. And that, I think that's going to mean something. But, you know, like I said, it's going to be tough. Um, and see who's self-morphing. But I think the Clippers were just starting to play pretty good. Uh, you know, we got Lemon Pepper Lou out there. I think he's he's tough to stop. Um, you know, Montrez Harrell will be coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he, was, he was gone, so he'll be coming in. So he'll have to catch up to speed a little bit as far as probably the conditioning if he hadn't been playing, uh, you know, because they're ahead of him the condition-wise. So uh, he'll have to get his conditioning up. Um, but I think the Clippers, I think the Clippers and the Raptors, if they get there, I think that the Raptors take it. Oh, wow. And, and the Raptors, that's an interesting pick. And people forget that the year before the Raptors actually won the championship, they had the best record in the NBA. So and that was before Kawhi. So, yeah, that you know, was before Kawhi. So they learned, you know, they, they learned, sometimes you learn in losing, so they learned how to, gel together and all that with came with the championship. Then they get Kawhi, win the championship. They lose Kawhi. They still have a really good record. People just, like you said, they overlook them. So that, that's a real interesting pick. Real interesting yep. pick. And, and I'll take that because you're a former NBA guy. So instead of hearing some of these other people, Stephen A. Smith, talk about, you know, these teams. So that's interesting. But, you know, it, and it's funny that you don't automatically pick the Lakers because Anthony Davis is a beast right now. I mean, LeBron is LeBron, but Anthony Davis is just... And I don't know what it is about this guy. He Physically, he looks completely different. And the way he's running the floor and moving around, it's just like all of a sudden he just matured. So, right, right. Yeah, Anthony Davis, uh, I mean, he's a tough guard for any team. Uh, I think, you know, the Clippers, they usually put like Montrez Harrell on him. And Montrez is a little physical with him. And the playoffs are a little more physical, so he may get away with a few more uh, things that uh, he wouldn't get away with in the regular season against him. So it'll be a little more physical in the playoffs. So it's, it's going to be based on uh, who's the toughest team and who's the most conditioned team. Because the better conditioned you are, the, I think, the more you can deal with the physicality of the game. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's stay in the NBA and talk about your career and, you know, just share some stuff. Most memorable game, teammates, okay. just just share whatever you'd like. You're Chucky Brown. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. well, probably, uh, I got a few most memorable uh, moments. Uh, one of my favorite moments, of course, is when I got my career high uh, in Cleveland. Uh, scored 30 points that night against uh, Otis Smith. Who was trying to beat me up? He was trying to beat me up that game, and you know I came out of school, uh, you know, weighing up. In the NBA, Jackson number five, Mashburn number six, averaging over 24 a game. Chucky Brown with a basket, and he's fouled. Goes and gets it. Kenny, good pass off. Chucky Brown too. There's that off. Dexter steps behind. The ACC. I played in the ACC uh, was uh, w- was very helpful because you know you play against the top kind. This was back when the ACC only had eight teams, so you're playing against the best players every night. So um, that was one of my favorite moments. Uh, another one of my favorite moments was, of course, winning the '95 uh, championship 
that was a, a great moment because all of the hard work, you know, that went into all of the things that had happened to me where, you know, there was a period where I wanted to quit playing basketball. Oh, wow. Uh, a few years prior. Yeah, but a few years prior, I almost quit playing uh, because I didn't feel like I was getting a fair opportunity. Um, so I was just like, you know, I'm just going to go off and go into law enforcement and do my thing. And, um, you know, my father taught me to stand, and I'm glad he did. Um, and then another one of my uh, favorite moments was uh, we playing in Madison Square Garden, and I had scored like eight straight points against the Knicks. Um, you know, and I'm running down the sideline, and I see Spike Lee jump up, and he said, well, who's guarding Brown? So I couldn't wait to get on the phone call all my friends and be like, yo, Spike Lee was, was talking about me today, you know what I'm saying? So um, but, you know, those, are, those are my favorite moments as far as uh, player-wise. I mean, there were a lot of but those three stick out. Uh, favorite teammates, man, I got a lot of I got a lot of them, man. Um, you know, one of my favorite teammates, of course, is Larry Nance. You know, he was a guy that uh, pulled me to the side and was like, look, I'm going to show you how to be a pro. They called me Rook for the whole season. My name wasn't Chucky. It was Rook. Yo, Rook, come here, Rook. You know, he'd call me the night before and be like, yo, Rook, I want some glazed donuts in the morning. Meet me at, uh, you know, at 9 o'clock. You know, we're going to work out, and, you know, before practice. And, you know, that was good for me. Uh, you know, he was a little older. So, you know, he had to get, you know, I was young. So, I mean, I would come out and walk on the court in 360, didn't have to stretch. So he oh, wow. taught me the meaning of stretching. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, you know, Byron Scott, James Worth, Eric Coleman, Kenny Anderson, Kenny Smith, Sam Cassell, uh, Tim Duncan. Uh, I mean, I had a lot of, you know, a lot of like favorite teammates, man, that were, that, you know, just good people. And it, you know, it was really great. To, because you hear about some of these guys, like when I was playing with Tim Duncan, you heard about Tim Duncan, you heard about Elijah Ron, you heard about Clyde Drexler, who's another one of my favorite guys. But when you really get behind the scenes and meet these guys, you know, it, it, it's totally different than what, you know, an outsider would know. Like, I know a lot of things, like good things about these people. Like, I can remember times when I was in Houston, and like, you have like deep discussions with these guys. And like, Elijah Ron was really a devout Muslim. So, uh, a Muslim, I should say the word right, Muslim. <laughs> so, you know, we would have conversations and, like, he invited me over his house and we talked about Islam and, uh, you know, because I was a born and raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, okay. it's, it's a difference in religion. So we, I mean, you know, and like, he would tell me stories about, like, people thought that him and David Robinson didn't get along because David was a, you know, Christian and Dream was Muslim. But, he told me that him and David always have conversations about, you know, about their religions. You know, they, they, they don't, like, dislike each other because they're religious. So a lot of people outside didn't know that type of stuff. But, you know, I did. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it, it, you know, just just knowing those guys behind the scenes, like, you know, even like, you know, Michael Jordan and them, just, just being able to talk to them behind the scenes, find out, you know, these, these are good guys and that, you know, the, the public, the public, pressure on them is really like it's really crazy like I wouldn't want to be in there but I'm glad I'm who I am okay <laughs> <laughs> alright so you know you, you talk about uh, coming in the gym at 9 a.m. stretching talk about the typical days for an NBA guy for a professional basketball player because you know all we see is as an outsider I look at it you guys practice it whenever I see you driving around in your car. You go to the game. Well, I mean, like, like you hear about these. Right. Pat, Pat Riley used to have these shoot arounds. You know, they say that lasted two hours, and I'm like, well, shoot around or practice? What 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 is that? So, what's the typical day like for an NBA player? Typical day like a, a non game day. Usually, like practice might be at like eleven. So, um, you know, you have guys that get there. A typical day for me would be I would get there probably. Uh, about nine nine thirty. Uh, probably hit the weight room first. Uh, get my weight lifting in. Then uh, probably get about 45, 30, 45 minutes of good you know weight lift, depending on what part of the body I was working. 
probably would do upper body before practice and legs after because you want your legs doing practice. Okay. So uh, I would I would lift get a lift in going after that you, know, you get get in um, you get in the gym probably about ten fifteen start getting some shots up work on some things uh, you know work on your mid range games your post moves stuff like that just to get you know ready for practice then practice started about eleven go practice from about eleven to one. Uh, get some shots up after that. Uh, after 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 you get your shots up, you hit the weight room. Um, you know, take your shower, and probably after all that is done, it's about three o'clock. And after that, you know, for me, I can say like when I was you know before I, before I had a family or anything like after like after three o'clock, like when I was younger, I'd hit the mall. You know, walk around the mall. <laughs> you know, you walk around the mall. I go to a movie. I go get something to eat. You know, I was single. I was by myself. Um, yeah, that's what I did. I used to hit Palmer Town Mall. Palmer Town. There time. you go. I ran into you in Palmer Town Mall. That's right. Palmer Town was my spot, so I go to Palmer Town Mall and and hang out and uh, you know just chill out. Um, but then when, you know, once I got married and had kids, then. You know, like when I was in Sacramento, we would, uh, after I got done with all my stuff, be about two thirty, three o'clock, we'd jump in the car and drive to San Francisco and hang out for the day, oh, uh, wow. you know, family. So, uh, you know, you just kind of, you know, some guys like to go and sleep as much as they can. You know, I tried to get out and see things in the city and then, you know, try to get back, you know, 9 o'clock, 8, 9 o'clock at night. I mean, that was that's good enough, you know, to try to get off your feet. That's a non-game day. Mm-hmm. On a game day, now on a game day, you know, you come, you still come early. You don't you don't really lift as much on a game day. You don't lift, you don't want to lift weights on a game day. Um, so you come in early. You still come in early, get your shots up, get your conditioning in. Uh, you go through the shoot around. Then uh, after that, you usually go home and get off your feet. So on a game day, you want to stay off your feet as much as possible, um, you know, so that when the night comes, when when, at night when the game starts, you want to have as much of your legs as you can. Okay. So on a game day, you're just off your feet, you know, more so. But, you know, on a non-game day, you know, you're just out, you know, you, you do whatever. But on a, on a, on a game day... Nah, you, you try to stay off your feet pretty much. Okay. Now you, you talk about you like to get around in the cities. What was one of your favorite cities, or what are you some of some of your favorite cities? Okay, favorite cities for me, man. Look, uh, you know, like I said, Cleveland was the first for me. Once I got to see a little bit of Cleveland. See, back in them days, this you know when I first went to Cleveland, downtown was not happening. You did not. You wanted to get out of downtown before dark. You know what I'm saying? So, so I also went to Akron. You know, uh, a lot of times Akron was was happening. Uh, that was when the Coliseum was at Richfield. Okay. Richfield. Okay. That's right. So downtown was not popping. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was not going on downtown. But in my second stint with Cleveland, downtown they started to rebuild the downtown. So, you know, now downtown they got the casino and all that stuff going on. So downtown Cleveland now is hopping. You know what I'm saying? But back then it wasn't. Uh, Cleveland was one of my favorite places. I loved L.A. because of the weather. The weather was awesome in L.A. Um, you know, you get out and like you get out of practice and go straight to the beach. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and just hang out on the beach. And this was in January. You know, you're on the beach in January. So. Um, you know, LA was cool. Uh, New Jersey was was awesome because, like I, like I said, I grew up in New York and moved to North Carolina, where my father was from. And you know, New York, I knew the city, so going over to the city, I just had a blast because I knew how to get around. You right. Know what I'm so, right. Uh, New York was great. Houston was another great place because of the way they treated their athletes. Um, you know, back when I first went to Houston, they had the Houston Oilers were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you had the Oilers, the Astros, the Rockets. You know what I'm saying? So, and we were all winning. Right. So, I mean, right. the way they treated us was just incredible. Um, trying to think, well, Atlanta. Atlanta was another great city. Uh, you know, especially like uh, back then, they had a the little freak dick going on. <laughs> ah, <so>. yes, sir. <laughs> Atlanta was like a big. Atlanta was like a big old party. You know what I'm saying? So, but Atlanta was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Really, you know, most most all NBA cities 
you know, a pretty, pretty cool. And probably the only city that I did not get out and see a lot was Milwaukee. Uh, I did not go out a lot of Milwaukee because it was so cold. Uh, I mean, Cleveland was Cleveland was cold, but Cleveland just seemed like it snowed a lot. It wasn't as cold as Milwaukee. It just like snowed like every day in Cleveland for a second. It was snow. You know what I'm saying? Like what they call it, the mistake by the lake. They used to call it. But, uh, but Cleveland was was cold, but not as cold as Milwaukee. So uh, when I was in Milwaukee, I was just like practice home, game home. So I didn't really see a whole lot of okay. Milwaukee. But okay. really, most NBA cities were really, you know, were, were great. Um, and you know, you're an NBA player, so you're gonna get the best treatment. You know, you don't get first class treatment. All you right. know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Well. Now let, let's talk, touch on your college days at NC State. Okay. The great NC State where I got a chance to meet you. You know, you played right. for the legendary Jimmy V. What was right. that like? And before you start that, let me let me tell you. I had my first Jimmy V experience about two days before classes start. They call all of the athletes into Reynolds Coliseum to hear Jimmy V speak. I can't even remember what he spoke about, but I remember it was the end of two-a-days. It was 200 degrees outside, and then we have to go into Reynolds where it's even hotter. It's like 300 in there, but they're passing out fans, and everybody coming in is fanning themselves, sitting in the seats, leaning over, sweating, and V walks in, and he's like, wait a damn minute. Stop fanning yourself. Sit up straight. And everybody just stopped. And it, it seemed like it cooled right. off. Did he always have that presence? Did he was he always that intense? Yeah, you know, one thing about V, man, you know, he was always like that. I think that that was the thing that drew me to him. Um, I can remember like the recruit process. You know, he came down to my house recruiting me, and uh, you know, my mom made dinner. It was Coach V, Tom Abetta, Marco, Coach McLean, and uh, Ray Martin. So they all came down to the house. My mom made dinner, and uh, V was just talking about how you know, interested they were in, in having me and this, that, and the other. So then he started moving some of the furniture around, diagramming a plate. So I'm like, yo, you know, my dad is a, was a Navy veteran and World War II veteran. So I was like, man, this this ain't gonna go too good. Took it in. Uh, you know, he was excited. My dad was excited too uh, because I was getting an opportunity to go to college, and he never had that opportunity, so he was happy. So he, he let a lot of stuff slide that day. I'll say, <laughs> but um, but just his energy there uh, drew me to him. Uh, I came up to NC State basketball camp uh, when I was in high school, and you know I got to you know hang around him a little bit more, and then you know. When I was when I was at NC State, and I know you saw the thirty for thirty, um, you know, and I talk about this all the time with people. Like the the, the thing that stuck out when Terry Gannon said, um, you know, when V did his SB speech, and how you know people around the world was so taken by his SB speech, you know, Terry said, you know, that's what we saw every day, and that's true. That's I mean, that's how we saw him every day. You know what I'm saying? So uh, the SB speech, yeah, it was a big deal. You know what I'm saying? But we saw that all the time. You know what I'm saying? That was just one of many speeches that, you know, V had given us. So uh, it really wasn't as big of a deal for us as it was people around the country because that's the first time they really got introduced to him, some people. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, to answer your question, he was like that all the time, man, all the time. And, you know, he always, you know, one thing about him that people didn't know is that he always tried to give us good advice and always tried to guide us to do the right thing. It wasn't just all about basketball with him. Um, you know, and, and he was always always good to me, always good to me. I, I remember nights when, you know, I was hungry and case was closed. Oh, and it was about 9 o'clock at night and I was hungry. <laughs> and I would drive over to his house and say, yo, coach, you know, I need something. He's like, hey, you know, he tells his wife, Pam, hey, Pam, fix him something to eat. I eat, leave, and go back to the room. But, you know, he always took care of me, man. Nice, nice. That's that's good stuff. That's really good stuff. And, Chuck, what was it that you used to drive in college? Uh, I had that red truck, man. (laughs) (laughs) 
I remember it. <laughs> I remember. Hey, man, that red truck got me around, man. That thing broke down on me so many times. <laughs> but you know what? That thing, that, that, that was my little red truck. That Actually, my sister and I shared it. And uh, I don't know if she booby-trapped it to get when she gave it to me. But every time she gave it to me, it would break down and stuff. I'm glad that it never broke down on her. Uh, but the funny thing is, man, and I think about this, like, the, the, it would break down on me. And, like, this was before cell phones. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But it would always break down at a place where I could walk a little bit and get a little payphone or something like that. So wow. I mean, it's amazing how things work out. It's amazing <laughs> how things work out. And, and, and you know, it, it broke down on me, uh, you know, just like it was, it was a, a, not that a breakdown is convenient, but it was, a, it, it, it was a, a convenient breakdown where I was able to get to a phone and it was never like well, I was I never felt like I was in any danger or nothing like that okay. you know what I'm saying I was always able to get the call and, and have somebody come or, or I had AAA my parents had AAA so I was able to always call AAA and then get it fixed um, but yeah, that, that was that was my little joint right there. Nice, nice. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that red <laughs> truck. All right. So, sticking with the college, I wanted you to talk about some of the rivalries that you had. You know, every once in a while, I'll I'll have flashbacks, memories of big games and guys I played against. Are there particular right. guys that you played against? Are there particular games that you replay in your head or think about or talk about more than others? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, since my, my oldest daughter goes to Carolina, she plays soccer over there. So every time I go over there, I think about the times that we beat them, you know what I'm saying, and the games that we had. Like, I always think about the 87 uh, ACC championship when we beat them there. Um, the, 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 the 50-point game, I think about that one, too, uh, at Reynolds. <laughs> at Reynolds. <laughs> at Reynolds. Uh, I think about that, you know, and also when we go over to Duke, uh, when my daughter plays soccer over there, I go over to Duke for games. I always think about how uh, when we beat Duke and some students ran out of the stands and wanted to fight us. Uh, you know, they, so that, that was like, you know, and security got them first, luckily for them, because we were like, if, if they make it over here, they ain't going to be kind of like, uh, kind of like in the Nutty Professor, uh, where he said, clean this you're going you go to walk over here, but you're going to live back. So it's kind of it was, it was like that. But uh, I think about that. I think about the battles that we used to have with Wake Forest. Uh, you know, we had the full overtime game with them. You know, they, they played us tougher uh, than anybody. I mean, Carolina Duke were tough. Mm-hmm. But Wake Forest was played us tougher. We got the longest game in ACC history still standing with Wake Forest for overtime game. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I think about uh, those those games. I think about, you know, playing against J.R. Reed, playing against Danny Ferry, playing against Christian Leitner. Uh, you know, one of the toughest guys I had to play against in college was Sam Ivey. I think about, you know, playing against him. And I, I ran into these guys and we kind of laugh and joke about stuff. You know, like I, I talk to Leitner sometimes on the phone. You know, so I get him on the phone sometimes and we laugh and talk about old times and we played together with the Hawks. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Ran into Sam Ivey at a Redskins football game. I'm walking around, and here, you know, I see this other tall, you know, so you see tall black dudes, see them, like, all right, guys can be played somewhere, you know what I'm saying? So, and it was fun. So we talked, we laughed, and talked, and you know, he's really into, uh, he had a lot of uh, chicken places around college universities, so he's really done well uh, business-wise. So, I mean, but those are some of the guys that uh, you know, I think about rivalry. You know, Richard Morgan's another one. Uh, at Virginia, Virginia was a tough team as well. So, you know, the ACC back then was was very tough. Mm-hmm. It was a tough. It's only eight teams in the league. Right. You know what I'm saying so. Uh, but yeah, those are some of the guys I think about. Some of the rivalries. Okay. Okay. I know you guys used to have a lot of tough games with Georgia Tech because I came on my recruiting visit and I saw you guys play again, and that drew me in. I mean, I, I saw a Georgia Tech, okay. NC State. And that was. The excitement! I was like, "Oh man, if they're doing this in basketball, what's the football like?" So, yeah. Yeah, Georgia Tech was another uh, tough school. They had Tom Hammonds down there, Dennis Scott, 
uh, Brian Oliver, Dwayne Farrell. So they had, they had, like I said, the ACC was full of tough teams back then. Like, you didn't have a night off. You know? I, didn't, you know, I, I, mean, I don't mind the ACC now, but I do think it's a little watered down with the 14, 15 teams. Um, you know, it's still a tough conference. Still, I think, the toughest conference uh, in, in America. Uh, and, you know, most of the main, like, you know, these football, basketball, even with the SEC, I think the SEC is tough in football, but if you're talking top to bottom, I, I roll with the ACC. You know what I'm saying? But, but I think the SEC is top heavy when you got LSU, Alabama, um, uh, who else is it? But I know LSU and Alabama pretty much. Georgia, top. yeah. yeah right. Georgia, you know what I'm saying? Because right. Tennessee is really falling off. You know, Florida is good. They're not the Florida of old, though. You know what I'm saying? Right. I think the SEC is top heavy, but I think the ACC from top to bottom is probably better. So I know basketball, you talk about basketball, you talk about women's soccer, you talk about men's soccer. You know, the ACC is right there. All the baseball, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So all the major sports, you talking about, you know, you talk about the ACC, it's top dog. Yeah, it is. It's a great, great division. Uh, Great players come out of there. You know, you, 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 you you brought it up first. The 50-point game. So, right, in 89, right. you actually went for 29-16. But I remember right. it as the 50-point game because at the time, you know, being an athlete, I was able to get tickets to the whole right. game. I sold my tickets. I got 50 bucks for those tickets. That was a lot of money when I was in college. So, that's you know, right. you know how that is. But my roommate and I, Scott Adele, we decided we were going to just take the money, go back to the room. I would buy a pizza. Right. So I get a pizza and I'm, you know, 8L, 6'4", 300 pounds. I'm splitting a pizza with this guy. Well, it was two for me, one for you. And by the time the game was over, I went to go get a pizza. It was gone. He's like, hey, man, you got to move faster. So that's why I call it the 50-point game because I, I got 50 bucks that night. So, But that, that was an incredible night. It was one of my, you know, biggest, better college memories because, you know, right. you, you took it to Carolina. That was, that was a Chucky Brown right. night, so... I, I appreciate yeah. that, but anytime I say fifty, make sure you <laughs> back me up. I can't. I got you on the coast side. I got you on the coast side, man. I got you on the coast side. That was that was a great night, man. I, I mean, you know, I the, the one thing I miss about Reynolds Coliseum, um, and people don't, a lot of people don't understand. Like, I was, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you know the school moved and got a big arena or whatever, but I still think we should have just. Redid Reynolds and stayed in there because of the, the how loud it was in there. But I remember, like, we had to walk up these steps, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you walk up the steps, you're kind of still like underneath, like a tunnel kind of thing. And like, it was always somebody sticking their head out, waiting for us to get up the steps. And you could hear them say, "Here they come!" And all these hands would come out, and you slap the hands all the way. So that got you. And then when you got to them lights and to run out on them. I mean, if you were not ready to play in Reynolds, that was on you. <laughs> that was one place that, you know, there was there was no excuse for not being hyped up ready to play. There was no excuse. No excuse. Yeah, and, and I know PNC Arena is nice, but it's it seems like it's separated from the campus. I used to love being able to walk from the dorm, go to a game, and it you know the students. Everybody was in one place. Now it's like you gotta, yeah. People come from here. How do you get to the games? That kind of thing. And it's different now because kids have cars. But it's it's just not the same feel. And so no, it's not the same. It's, it's not the same. And I think that the kids uh, really miss out on that experience. And I'll tell you another thing too. Like walking to class, like knowing that we were playing Duke, Carolina, or Maryland, or whoever it was. Walking to class, and you see the. The kids camp out for the tickets to see you play. I mean, that got you hyped right there. You know, they, they camped out for the tickets, man. And we're like, man, yo, we gotta, you know, we gotta, we gotta play. Show. Yep. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think that, is, and, and for me, like just hearing the routine that the kids have to go through today, where they gotta take a bus over to PNC, you know, early, and they take naps over at PNC. I used to take my nap at the college end, and if the game was at seven thirty. I walk down the hill about four thirty. Right. You know what I'm saying? So right. I mean it's just it's just different. I think it's a it's a experience missed by these kids. But you know, they they'll never know that feeling. 
Yeah. You know? and, and so what do you think about the new Reynolds Coliseum, the renovations that they have now? I, I think it's great. You know, I think it's great, uh, great for the for the for the women that pl- the women's team plays there. Mm-hmm. So I've gone and caught a few women's games, and it's loud, very loud in there. And I think that the that the the, the men play one like non-conference game, uh, but they've made it so much smaller now. I think it only seats about eight thousand, maybe, where it seated twelve thousand four hundred before. Mm-hmm. So. I think if they would have just um, would have just redone it and kept it at twelve thousand four hundred, the men could play. You know, maybe you could play like the small all all of your non conference games there. You know right. what I'm saying? To right. get that kind of electric feel. And they played like when they played in the NIT, they played their NIT games in there. Um, you know, with the smaller crowd. But I mean, Reynolds, you know, it's a special place, man. I I I, I still love Reynolds to this day. When you walk in there. You, just look up and look around. It's just like it's it's a special feeling, man. So yeah. um, I I still uh, love Reynolds Coliseum, and you know I mean I go over to PNC, but it's it's, it's like you said, it's it's not the same. It's not the same feeling. It's just not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and unfortunately for the kids that one get recruited and the kids that are playing there, they they don't get that. I I, I won't say they don't get the college experience, but right. you know you you go to. Cameron and the crazies, there's only 3,000 people in there. And it's crazy. It, it's, the people are nuts and they're excited about it because they can right. walk, you know, they sleep out, whatever. But we yeah. had that at Reynolds. We had that special yeah. feeling and it's it's just not there. It, it's more corporate. It's not college yeah. for lack of a better term. But, uh, right. you know, we'll make the best out of it. We'll, we'll start winning again. <laughs> Things will happen. We better. So we better. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We we, we will. We will. So, all right. So now you're into coaching. Right. Tell me about your coaching journey. Tell me about you know what you're currently doing. All that good stuff. Okay, my coaching journey started um, back in oh probably three maybe. I first started as a mentor for the developmental league. And uh, I was working on getting my college degree. I was working on finishing school. So I had just, uh, I had one more class to finish up in 04. And they called me and asked me, they said they had a position open. Uh, would I be willing to take the position? Uh, it was in uh, Roanoke, Virginia. So I said, okay, yeah, I'll take it. So I had one more class to finish. Once I graduated, um, I started that coaching journey under Kent Davidson who was uh, you know, a great person to start under. Um, so I did four years in Roanoke. Then uh, the Lakers had decided to get them a developmental league team. And Dan Panaggio was the head coach. And I had worked a few uh, preseason NBA camps. And I, and I met him. I knew him from playing CBD, but I never got to really, uh, he never got to really see my personality or anything. So, so he got to see my personality at these camps. And then he called me about coming to work with him in L.A. So I went for four years uh, out there in L.A. I was the head coach one year of the defenders. And then once the lockout came, they did away with the team. Oh, wow. So after they did away with the team, yeah, it was crazy. So after they did away with the team, I then had gone into scouting. But uh, my coaching journey, I did eight years in the developmental league. Had the opportunity to coach some really nice young men, really special young men. Um, and then after that, uh, like I said, I did scouting for seven years, so I'm currently now coaching in high school. Uh, this will be my second year coming up uh, at West Johnston High School, coaching with the West Johnston uh, Wildcats. Uh, you know, my first year, you know, I learned a lot. You know, you don't, it, it's, it's a difference uh, when you coach pros uh, and then when you coach high school. You know, high school kids, you have to tell them everything and you have to give an example you know what I'm saying? so you have to show it you have to show and tell everything whereas in the pros you know i could come out and say like yo let's go uh let's go three man we let's go three on two two on one then we're gonna get into our box set boom 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 everything goes you know what i'm saying because like in the pros i can remember like in the pros uh you know before like before the tip off like right before we get ready to go out the starters go out there were five plays 
uh, that we were going to run. This was going to run this first, this second, this third, this fourth time, fourth time down, this the fifth time down. So you had to remember those. You had to remember. Oh, wow. You know wow. what I'm saying? So, yeah, you had to remember. And, so, and if you didn't remember, you was coming out of the game. So, um, so, you know, we would do those five plays. And then after that, you know, then we'd go into, okay, this is what we got on this team. This is what we could do well. Whereas in, in, in high school, you know, you won't be able to diagram five plays and expect them kids to do it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sure because of, you know, like in the pros, you come to practice, like I said, about 11 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? It's basketball all day. High school is different. Your 11 o'clock kids is in class. You know what I'm saying? So, okay. and then afterwards, but they probably got a lot more going on. Um, but, you know, you get to practice, you have to show them everything. And you have to show examples like you, even if they say, say, all right, we got, let's go three on two, two on one. Everybody know what we're doing? Even if they say yeah, <laughs> don't listen to that. Do show them what show you're doing. You know what I'm saying? So that, that is sick because you're going to end up having to show them anyway, so you might as well give them that example. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Okay. But, but that's the biggest difference uh, for me from coaching from the pros um, to high school. Never have coached in college, but I, I think that uh, college would be, you know, a little bit similar to high school, you probably would still have to show an example of everything, you know what I'm saying? Whereas, you know, the pros be the best of the best. So, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to do that particular thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then, now, tell me, uh, uh, it's different. You played under Coach Falvano, who, you know, who might give you a few choice words about your uh, performance. Now, right. I don't know how well that would translate today with these kids. So how has that adjustment been? Because you, you're old school like I am. So your coaching style, would, how is that? How do you adjust? Um, I think my coaching style is, is more for today's kid because, you know, um, you can't coach them like we were coached. You know, we were coached hard and uh, we didn't take things personal. Now, some kids can take it. Some kids can take it, but it's hard to find out which ones can. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, because yeah, if you coach some of these kids hard, they will quit on you. Uh, and I and I do attribute a lot of that to the everyone gets a trophy thing. You know what I'm saying? Because back, you know, back when we were younger, you know, it was first, second, third place. Everybody else, you know, thanks for coming out. God bless. Good night. You know what I'm saying? So, but now. Um, you have where everybody gets these participation trophies where people don't want people to have their feelings hurt, you know what I'm saying, and don't want anybody to be upset and all this stuff, you know what I'm saying? Like, even you go to these comedy shows and they got to watch what they say in a comedy show. Yo, I'm there to laugh. I don't care what you say, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, but uh, as far as the coaching goes, man, you know, I don't, you know, I, I, put, I put it on the kids, you know what I'm saying? If you're not producing, you know, and this guy is, look, I got the stats to show it. I got the film to show it. This guy has to play. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And, um, you know, I think that, uh, like I said, when I, you know, I got cursed out plenty of times. And like I said, we would come to case sometimes laughing about V, you know, they cussed me out today. You know what I'm saying? And I can remember my freshman year when it first happened, me calling home. I called home with my dad like, yo, man, this dude is crazy. I've been cussing me out. It will be woo and my father was like, yo, uh, did he put his hands on you? And I was like, nah, click. You know, and I thought I had lost connection. You know, so he hung up on me, so I thought I lost, so I called right back. I was like, yo, like, yo, we lost connection. He said, no, he didn't. He said, look, if that man don't put his hands on you, don't call me. He said, look, that man's job depends on 18 and 19-year-old kids. So you just do what that man to tell you to do. And then he hung up again. So I was like, all right, it is. So I never called home again. I never called home again. And there were times where, you know, of course, you know, he made, like, maybe little threats or whatever. But we know he wasn't serious. But he made look, we even laughed about that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Whereas today, if you do that type of stuff today, you know, I've never heard of, you know, human resources like when I was in college, never heard of it. I don't even think we had in HR when, I, when we were in college. I don't even think we had, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, um, you know, these kids today, they'll call human resources on you. And, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, you, like I, I, I remember in the NCAA tournament, Tom Izzo getting in the face of one of his players. 
and they made a big deal about it. I'm like, wait a minute. He should have got on the kid. You know what I'm saying? Just, if that's his coach, you know what you're getting into before you get there. You know what I'm saying? He ain't, right. That ain't the first time he had done that. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? So don't, don't get upset about this now. You know what I'm saying? But, but it's just like, you know, you, they don't want you to yell at nobody. And, uh, you know, you. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just so much different now. So, you know, I can remember, like, you know, I swore on the sideline one time last year, and I got called in the office about it. And I'm just like, what? I'm like, I ain't even talking to nobody. I'm just saying, you know, the S word or something. You know, I'm just saying that. You know, I'm not even talking to nobody. You know, I'm not talking. I would never do that to the kids anyway. But you know, they, they just don't want. To. And, and like these kids probably talk worse than we do. You know, I could I could tell you stories. I've been standing around the corner and hear them talking around the corner. They don't see me in the in the and the F-bomb flying, and then I come around the corner like, yo, like, dude, you can't talk like that in public. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. these kids talk worse than we do. The music they listen to says worse things than, than, than we say to them. So <laughs> let's not act like they're, you know, four- and five-year-olds. You know what I'm saying? These are young adults that use the same kind of language. But, you know, you just can't, you can't coach them hard. Uh, I mean, you can coach them hard, but it's got to be – you have to pat them on the back too. Mm-hmm. So – that's, right. the, that's the thing that you must pat these kids on the back. It's like I said, they're quitting on you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So that, that's that's tough. So you're a better man than I am because I had my high school coaching experience that ended right. with me having to either give an apology or turn my stuff back in. I turned my stuff in. So that's right. You know, that's, it's just like right. you're a man. You're you can't talk to me a certain way, and I won't talk to you. But if you do it, you cross that line, we got problems. So it's just, we got a problem. That's so right. you're, right. you're, God bless you, Chucky. That's all I can say is God bless you for having the patience to take the time to do it and help kids out. But um, just just going back to that. So what, talk about some of like your first days coaching with the kids. Like you, you come in there, you get the job, you got to roll out the balls. What, what are you thinking when you see these kids running around? Uh. First thing I'm thinking, like, dang, I wish I'd have had a six eight or six nine up here. I was like six three, so you know what I'm saying. But uh, you know, the kids that I coach, man, they've been great. Um, they they listen. They they try to do what I ask them to do. Uh, so I really like my first year was a great year. Uh, you know, it was tough taking over a program that I only won two games. Oh, you know, wow. so the first thing I have to do, yeah, only won two games, so we won six this year so we won formal so they were ecstatic about it i wasn't ecstatic about it but you know we should have won 10 we blew about four games but that's because we didn't know how to win mm-hmm. um so i think that uh you know i think one thing that i'm trying to build is a culture of holding each other accountable uh i don't think they've ever done that before you know like i can remember like after the the first loss we had you know not that i'm asking you to bring it home but I'm asking you to, um, you know, you only have so many, so long to play this game. So, you know, I'm, I, I don't want you to linger on anything, but, you know, just think about it for a minute, you know. And it was just too much laughing and joking and, like, you know, didn't really care. You know, you got to care about what you do if you want to be successful at it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, this is, you know, not only are you, uh, this, this is character building. This is, this is relationship building. You know that you. These are relationships that you might have. Like I still talk to my high school teammates. You know, so right. um, you know you gotta you gotta care about what you do. So I just want them to hold each other accountable. Uh, I'm gonna hold them accountable. I want them to hold me accountable. You know, what I'm saying so we have to take onus within this team if we want to do good at it, and we can. You know, what I'm saying so. The hard part for me this year was getting them to believe because they were so used to losing. Like I could see. Like, when they get down, I could see where it was like, okay, this is where we're supposed to be. And when we were winning, I could see it was like, oh, man, we're winning. What what do we do now? You know oh, what I'm saying? So shot. I want them to get to the point where, you know, we're winning. All right, we're supposed to be here. Okay, we're down. All right, we got to fight to get up out of this. We, we can keep, we can do it. You know, so they have that belief in themselves. So I think that, you know, I think I am doing well at building that type of culture now. Uh, over at West Johnson, and I, but I do think the kids have been great so far. Okay, okay. Now you know with, with COVID, 
the recruiting's a little different, all that good stuff. You know, you you've been through it. You you know, at right. the top of the recruiting. So one, talk about your recruiting experience and then talk about, you know, what kids need to do nowadays or parents as far as getting noticed and the kind of things they need to do in order to get recruited by some of these schools if they have talent, you know, because you just... Right. Everybody thinks they got talent. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a big difference. There's a lot of parents that say, man, I, my kid, Dave, he's the best. Dave comes out, Dave won't even move. I think that uh, the recruit process for me, you know, it was fun. You know what I'm saying? It was fun uh, for a while. Um, uh, you know, getting getting phone calls from Lefty Giselle, Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Valvano, uh, Joey and Ray Meyer, um, I'm trying to think who else was at UCLA back. I can't remember who was hazard. You know, so you get you get these calls from all these different schools, top schools around the country. I think it was fun uh, up until you know I knew where I wanted to go. Uh, but as a recruit, you know, you want to take them visits. You, you get five visits. <laughs> I already get five visits, so you want to take them visits. Um, but you know, it, it, it got fun. it was fun up until I knew where I wanted to go, and then I was just like, you know what? I'm not gonna waste anybody's time. I'm not gonna act, you know, I'm not gonna act like I want to go here if I don't. Um, you know, I, I went ahead and committed to NC State. Just told everybody else, look, this is where I'm going. Leave me alone. I'm done. You know, go call somebody else. So um, the recruiting process, you know, it, it, it was it was fun. Um, and like my, my daughters get, my one, I got one daughters get recruited now, and I tell her, you know, just enjoy it. You know, it's no rush, but when you feel like you know where you want to go, you know, you you know, you'll know. Because okay. like I said, I knew. Um, so yeah, the recruiting process uh, was great. Now, it was a whole lot different back then, uh, especially like for basketball. Like we had basketball camps that we did in the summer uh, that we would go to, and then. Uh, a lot more coaches came to your game. You know, now with the social media aspect of it, um, if I'm coming out, like I know like my daughter plays soccer, we got to make little videos for her, send them to coaches, and then, you know, we take unofficial visits and introduce them to the coach and let them know that they're interested, that, that you're interested in coming to their school. Mm-hmm. And if you're good enough, you know, they'll start recruiting you, they'll make the offer, whether it's the half or full scholarship, or whatever that is. So I think for today's kids, I think, you know, the social media aspect, you, you, can, you can make the calls and you can send the videos out and you can say, hey, check out my YouTube channel and, and, you know, check me out on Instagram and stuff like that. So I think it's a lot easier to get yourself out there now than it was uh, back then. You know, my the reason why NC State was able to find me was because my high school coach used to work at NC State's camp. So NC State heard about me first, and so they were recruiting me first. And then when I went to Five Star, the national camp, that's when Carolina and all them had heard about me. And they started calling me after that. Okay. But it was too late, and I had my mind made up. I think that, yeah, that's what kids uh, today can do. And, you know, you got to sell yourself. You know what I'm saying? And once you get that, that first offer, you know, most, that's what everybody else does. You just got to get that first offer, and that's when they all start rolling in. Okay, okay. And then, you know, you're, you said your daughter, Isabella, Izzy, she plays women's soccer at, you know, the top school, Carolina. So, but what's that like being, you know, playing at NC State? She's going to your your biggest rival. What's that like right. for you being a dad, watching your daughter wearing those colors? Uh, you know, it's, it's um, you know, when she first came to me and said that she was interested in, in in Carolina, you know, my first, my thought, you know, I had, I couldn't give a reaction, but my thought was like, oh hell no, you know what I'm <laughs> like come on, man. you know. But to her credit, you know, NC State didn't recruit her, so and that's where she wanted to go because that's where I always took her. So you know, we always trained over at NC State, so she didn't want to go there. But her her assistant soccer coach of her club team was an assistant coach at Carolina, so they kind of got to jump on her. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I just told him, you know, you know, like like my dad had told me, you know, he didn't want 
me to pick a place that he wanted me to go because he wanted me to make a decision because if I go there and don't have fun, I can't blame him. Okay. So then that kind of went back to me when she started talking about Carolina. I was like, well, look, if you want to go there, you know, you go there. I don't want you to go to NC State and then not like it, not have fun, then you can blame me. So now if you go somewhere and you don't have fun and you chose it, that's on you. You know what I'm saying? So right. it was it was uh it was tough, but that's that's my daughter. So, you know, I told her, you know, I I will wear Carolina women's soccer. I wear that kind of shirt. You know what I'm saying? But it ain't gonna be just like Carolina, but it has to be specific. Carolina women's soccer. You know what I'm saying? And I, I did find a red uh Carolina hat. Wow. Uh, I wow. I went to one of the soccer games over there and I heard this dude yell at me, that's blasphemy. <laughs> and, uh, that was hilarious. I was like, yeah, I gave him a thumbs up. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but I have to find a red Carolina shirt. So if I could find that, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was great. I'm just happy for her. She worked hard to get her scholarship uh, and I'm proud of her and I will support her. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I got no problem with her, you know, going there. My, my middle daughter, she likes Wake Forest. So if she, you know, she likes you know Wake Forest, South Carolina, you know Minnesota, you know you know Wake Forest is another rivalry school. If, if they happen to offer her and she goes there, get my full support. You know what I'm saying? That that's it's their decision, their life. Right. You know what I'm saying? You know, let them go ahead and live their life. So I just play the background when they want some advice. I'll be there for it, but I'm not going to tell them what to do or nothing like that. Okay. Well, there, folks, you have you heard it from Chucky Brown himself. Parents, take heed. Listen, it's your kid's life. Let them live it. Because honestly, if like you said, like your dad taught you, if you make a decision based on somebody else and you're miserable, you can't. Well, nowadays you can transfer, but gosh, you don't want to start that. You really don't want to stop. Right, that. right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so. Now, you don't want to do that because I, I, I just think that transfer, uh, that's, that's you know, semi-quit. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, if, you, if you're if you not good enough, get good enough. You know what I'm saying? Get good enough. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I'm not really into the whole transferring thing unless, you know, there's a situation where there's a coach that, Left, and you got a new coach coming in, and that coach don't like you. Oh yeah, I got to go because that coach can can really make it miserable for me. Right, you know what I'm saying. So right. um, that's when I would not be a fan of transferring then. Okay, okay, all right. Well, well, Chucky, before we get out of here, first of all, again, thank you for coming on the Chris Williams podcast hour. We I appreciate you, but how can yeah, fans? Problem. How can fans follow you on social media? You know, if they if they okay. want to learn more about you and just you know right. be a part of the Chucky Brown experience, where where do they need to go? Okay, you can go. Uh, my Facebook page is you know just Chucky Brown. Now on Facebook, I do you know do have debates with people. That we we do go at it. You know what I'm saying? So political and all that. So want to come on and get 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 to get you can do that uh, my instagram page more of my students follow me there so i'm not as controversial on the instagram uh so that's uh uh chucky brown 52 as well uh it might be 52 no that no that's chucky brown 52 um and my twitter uh not controversial there either um i just said i'm nice on tweets i'm being very nice <laughs> on the on the on the Twitter, uh, that's fifty two Chucky Brown fifty two, and you might see Clarence Brown, which is my real name. But those are the um, the uh, social media things and social media platforms that I'm on. All right. Well, again, Chucky, thank you for this hour on the Chris All Williams right. podcast hour. I appreciate you. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. I know that okay. I owe you Chipotle. So we'll be talking soon. So and and you got to remember, matter of fact, people need to experience this because I wasn't a Chipotle guy. You know, I was Moe's and Cadoba, but you turned me on to it. What exactly is it that you order when you go to Chipotle? Okay, Chipotle. My Chipotle order. See, like during the whole COVID thing, 
I had I still had to go and order it there because my order is is a custom order. So this is my order. I get a double chicken burrito, light on the white rice, pinto beans, and I have uh, sour cream and cheese on my burrito. And they have this vinaigrette there that's unbelievable. So and I have them pour the vinaigrette on the inside of the burrito, wrap it up, and then I get an extra vinaigrette where I pour little bits on it as I'm eating my burrito too. <laughs> so that, <laughs> that's my Chipotle order. And, and sometimes I will get carnitas on my burrito mm. as well, which is the, um, that's the pork, the seasoned pork. I get that on there. And that is unbelievable as well. Now, Bose, Bose probably has the best chips and the, um, the queso, the queso, queso at Moe's is the bomb. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So if Chipotle could have Moe's queso, it would be the best restaurant ever. <laughs> but Chipotle needs like the chicken and all the, the meat and so seasoned, I think, a little better uh, than Moe's. But Moe's is still good, though. Moe's is still good. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. This this segment sponsored by Chipotle, Chucky Brown. All right, Chuck, again, thank you for joining me. Uh, on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. We are really delighted to have you. And not only do we look forward to good things from Wes Johnson, we look forward to right. more things from you. So thank you again for coming right. and joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Chris. And, hey, I look forward to the next time we go to lunch. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. All right, my man. God All bless. Right. Take, Take care, care, brother.